Ecclesia is a new church trying to live out the way of Jesus in Princeton, New Jersey. We pray this teaching invites you to love Jesus and people more deeply and to embrace the full life that Jesus offers each one of us. Grace and peace to you. Well, you've probably heard of Sigmund Freud, perhaps the most influential figure in modern psychology. But you might be surprised to hear that Freud, for all of his impact and influence, was not even the most culturally relevant member of his own family. As much as most of us have heard of Freud, many of us have never heard the name of Freud's nephew, a man named Edward Bernays. But it could be argued that Bernays is not only more influential than Freud, but he is one of the most paradigmatic figures of the 20th century in shaping American, especially consumer, culture. Bernays is considered by many to be the father of modern public, public relations and advertising. Bernays harnessed much of his uncle's research, much of Freud's research, and in true American fashion found a way to monetize it by selling this research and these ideas to companies. One example, the CEO of the Lucky Strike Tobacco Company was looking for a new market for his cigarettes. And one thing he realized was, was that basically half of the American population didn't smoke cigarettes. Well, why? Because in 1929, it was culturally taboo for women to smoke. It wasn't an accepted practice. But George Washington Hill, president of the Lucky Strike Tobacco Company, wanted to expand his potential sales, and so he hired Edward Bernays. And Bernays determined that in order to create a desire amongst a new population, in order to overcome the social stigma, they had to create a vision of the lifestyle that was to be desired. So Bernays went to talk to some of his uncle's most ardent disciples, and in talking to them, they concluded that what men smoking cigarettes symbolized in that culture was not just it was a nice habit for them to do, but it was actually a symbol of male empowerment. It was a status symbol. Men smoking cigarettes suggested power. So Bernays tapped into the desire, not for the cigarette itself, but for what it represented. He consulted with Vogue magazine and convinced a bunch of New York City debutantes to gather on a certain day and to walk down an iconic street, Fifth Avenue, all smoking cigarettes. And as they did that, he tipped off the local media, and this ended up getting picked up by not just the local newspapers, but national and international media. So these women in this uh, marketing campaign were walking down the street, and this became known as the Torches of Freedom Parade, and this was covered by all of this media. And smoking, in this instance, became symbolically linked, not just to a new habit for women, but symbolically linked to female empowerment and liberation. And thus, for a woman to smoke following this ad campaign was suggestive that she was a powerful woman. And this was quite profitable, as you might imagine, for Lucky Strike cigarettes. Now, 
You can just imagine how you could transpose this whole strategy onto today's marketing media. The debutantes are basically social media influencers. The media itself is no longer print, but digital. The vision of the good life is basically the feed of the social media influencer. And you know the social media platforms themselves are basically just Bernays subtly and yet powerfully creating the longing within us. These are those ads that you get when you search for something on Google and all of a sudden you're seeing it on Instagram and on Facebook, these subtle suggestions saying, hey, you know what? You know what would make your life awesome? This. And you should have this. Now, I've really been enjoying preaching through this series, Personal Jesus, as we've looked at the way that the risen Christ narrates the story of the new world. And it's really quite stunning as we've seen. Jesus doesn't go to the highest peak and say, I am resurrected. I was crucified by the Romans, but now I'm alive and I am the Messiah, the one who God, the true God of all the world sent. No, he doesn't do that. Rather, Jesus proclaims the gospel by sitting down to meals after his resurrection, having these very intimate encounters with various people that had been following him throughout his life. And prior to his ascension, which we will celebrate in just a few days, and to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, Jesus is just with the people that were following him, declaring to them that he is alive forevermore and preparing them for the mission that he has for them. Now, I hope through these stories of intimacy, you have been invited to the deep life that Jesus has for you. I hope that you've seen how Jesus' benefits, how the, the blessings of the gospel are not just for the world at large, but are an invitation to see the God who made you, the one who loves you endlessly, looking you in the eyes and inviting you to take his life as your own. And today, as we've been focusing on these different themes that are present in these encounters, today I want to talk about contentment. And I also want to address the opposite of contentment, which we'll call restlessness today. Thomas Merton, during an extended period of time in solitude, wrote what I think is maybe not so much a definition, but a really good perspective on what contentment looks like. Look at what Merton writes. He says, it is enough to be in an ordinary human mode. With one's hunger and sleep, one's cold and warmth, rising and going to bed, I live as my fathers lived on this earth until eventually I die. There is no need to make an assertion of my life. I love this, this phrase, this lack of grasping. Uh, there's a band called Young Oceans and they have this song that's been really impactful for me called Suddenly. And one of the lines they sing is, Suddenly it's heaven and there's nothing to declare. And I love this imagery where there's nothing for us to grasp, nothing for us to hold on to. And Merton, in this small silent corner of the world, didn't have Instagram or Twitter to broadcast these revelations that he was receiving. He's just alone with God. And he's finding in this season of solitude, in this season of really just having his, his life in front of him in, in very intimate ways, he's finding that this is enough, that this is what it means to be content. The Apostle Paul, from another small, seemingly remote corner of the world, wrote to the church of Philippi. He was actually in prison during this time, and he wrote to the church, and he said, he gives us a perspective on contentment. 
Philippians 4, verse 12. He says, I know what it is to have little, and I know what it is to have plenty. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being well-fed and of going hungry, of having plenty and of being in need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Now, this passage is often ripped out of its context and treated as some sort of spiritual steroid or rubber stamp of success on everything we attempt. But, but again, Paul's writing this letter from prison. And when, when you let the context frame what Paul's saying, you see that what he's saying is not that, oh, I can do anything I set my mind to. No, he's saying that he can be content in every circumstance because of the presence of Jesus who gives him strength and empowers him for this kind of contentment. Now, Jesus models this. And, and I, I do want to say, Jesus not only models things in our life, he is a great example, but he also empowers us towards this life that he's calling us towards. He says, abide in him, we will, we will bear fruit. And so Jesus, when we look at the stories of Jesus, we're not only seeing the vision of, oh, that's a great example, but actually something that we are being invited towards. And Jesus gives us the ultimate vision of this empowered life. He moves directly in Luke's gospel from hearing his father's blessing as Jesus is baptized in the river Jordan, the heavens open, and a voice from heaven declares, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. And immediately from that scene, Jesus is driven by the Holy Spirit to a 40-day period of intense fasting and prayer. And at the end of that season, at the end of this 40-day period, the devil comes to tempt Jesus and tries to divert him from his path. But Jesus, even though he is famished and is far from content physically, he's suffering, he rebukes Satan. Even though Satan says, hey, turn those stones into bread, Jesus won't buy in because his sense of God's approval, that word that was spoken over him as he was baptized in the river Jordan, this is my son, is still echoing in his ears. And that sense of approval and God's mission and God's presence is far stronger, even in this moment of severe fasting, is far stronger than his need. Contentment is to be alive in our own skin, to accept the limits of our bodies, the limits of those around us, the limits of our circumstances, and to find that God, through the power of His Holy Spirit, is strengthening us. I love what Ronald Rollheiser says of contentment, which he calls restfulness in this definition. He says, restfulness is a form of awareness a way of being in life. It is being in ordinary life with a sense of ease, gratitude, appreciation, peace, and prayer. We are restful when ordinary life is enough. Did you catch that, Ecclesia? We are restful when ordinary life is enough. And the opposite of contentment is restlessness. And again, Rollheiser says of restlessness, perhaps no one word so captures the dominant feature and feeling of our culture as does the word restlessness. We are a restless people. Rollheiser goes on to say, the simple and primal joys of living are mostly lost as we grow ever more restless, driven, compulsive, and hyper. Within our lives, there is less ease and more fever, less peacefulness and more obsessive activity, less enjoyment and more excess. 
And as we turn to our teaching text for today, I want to invite you, just as in these few moments as we're opening the scriptures, I want to invite you to interrogate your own life, to take inventory. Where do you feel a lack of contentment? Where do you feel a restlessness? Where do you feel driven, compulsive, hyper? Where are you striving and grasping for things? I want to invite you just as we're opening the Bible together to consider these things in your own life. Consider how God might be inviting you to a greater sense of ease, a greater sense of peacefulness, and ultimately his contentment that he has for each one of us. Let's turn over to the scriptures together in John 21, beginning in verse 18. John writes, Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, this is Jesus talking, you used to fasten your own belt and go wherever you wish. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fashion a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. Jesus said this to Peter to indicate the kind of death by which he would die to glorify God. And after this, he said to him, follow me. And Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. He was the one who had reclined next to Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about him? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Follow me. Now in our teaching text for today, Peter has just been restored by Jesus. Peter denied Jesus three times and now he has affirmed three times that he in fact loves Jesus. Jesus then pronounces what seems like an ominous prophetic word over Peter's life. He says, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and go wherever you wish. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands. Someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you to not where you wish to go. And this is put in parentheses, but it says that this is said over Peter to indicate the kind of death that he would die. Now, historically, Peter was martyred during the persecution of Nero as Nero persecuted some of the earliest Christians in Rome in the early 60s. And church tradition says that Peter pleaded, as he heard the sentence of crucifixion, that he pleaded to be crucified upside down because, as he said, he was not worthy to die in the same manner of his king and his lord. That's incredible. Now, this may seem like a tough word, but Jesus ends with the timeless invitation to Peter that, that are both commissioned to a life of service and also an assurance that Jesus will never leave us or forsake us. Jesus says to Peter in all of this, he just says, follow me. And Peter in John 21 then turns and looks at John. And he says, what about him? Jesus says, of what concern is he to you? You follow me. Now, I think this story is so powerful and so human. Peter is focused on how God is going to relate and maybe bless those around him. He's looking at John's life and he's saying, well, okay, I heard this over my life. What about him? And it's so easy for us to do this, right? We see other people's lives from the outside. We look at what's going on, what, what we perceive to be the good things in their life, and we say, oh, of course they're happy. They've gotten everything they wanted. This kind of sounds like Satan and Job, but that's a different story. Uh, they have great, uh, a great job. They have a great family. They have a great research grant. Or they just have good looks or a loving family, and everything's great for them. We look at other people's lives and we compare but what we find is that comparison does not breed contentment. 
Rather, comparison breeds contempt. And our world is really fueled by a supercharged comparison machine. We can look into the lives of others through social media to see all of their highlights, all of the amazing stuff and the places they get to travel, the stuff they get to do and the stuff that they have in their house, how clean at least that corner of their house is, right? And how perfectly the light comes in at just the right time. We see so much through these filters, all of this filtered and curated beauty. But Jesus, as he talks to Peter and as he talks to us, cuts right through all of our worrying about other people, all of our sizing up, well, what's going to become of them, which either breeds a sense of superiority and pride in us or a sense of inferiority and a sense of jealousy and lack. Jesus cuts right through all of it, all of this comparison. He says, as Peter asks Jesus, well, what about him? Jesus directs all of the attention of Peter back to him and he says, What concern is that? Follow me. Jesus won't let Peter settle for a life that is looking at the lives of others and comparing himself. He says, you focus your life on me. And in Jesus' invitation is, again, both a commission, a purpose. Jesus has been talking to Peter about what it means to be a shepherd. And now he says, when you are older, somebody will take you where you don't want to go, but this will glorify me. But there's also, within this assurance, within this invitation, there's also a promise. Jesus will never leave us, never forsake us. The one who has overcome grave, has overcome sin and shame and circumstance to pronounce a new life. Jesus is saying that no matter what to Peter, and he shows it by the scars in his hands, no matter what, Jesus will always be with Peter. That, That invitation to follow him is one that stands for all of eternity. So as we talk about contentment, The question for us is how do we find this contentment? How do we stop our comparisons? How do we receive the joy of Jesus' presence in every circumstance? Well, the answer is actually not found in suppressing or finding some trick to overcome our restlessness. You see, I think our restlessness is a gift a signpost of a desire for something that nothing on this earth could ever satisfy. The art of contentment is in understanding what we are truly restless for. St. Augustine said, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Rollheiser again, riffing a bit on Augustine, he says, But have we not always been restless? Are we not pilgrims on earth, built with hearts made for the infinite, caught up in very finite and limited lives? Should we be surprised that we are constantly tormented by the insufficiency of everything attainable? I mean, that is a phrase. The insufficiency of everything attainable. To be hopelessly restless proves little more than we are alive, emotionally healthy and normal. Has not God built us so that we are restless until we rest in God? Ecclesia, restlessness is normal. Rollheiser says, restlessness is like a body temperature. Beyond a point, it becomes an unhealthy fever. But restlessness is a gift. 
We should be restless, longing for God. We should be restless in this world, longing for justice. We should be restless, longing for community to know and be known. We should be restless to build a better church that blesses the world around us. We should be restless for the moment where God will bring eternity and the kingdom and will wipe every tear from our eyes. Restlessness is a gift. Psalm 63, verse 1. Oh God, you are my God. I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Much of our restlessness, though it's a gift, is just misplaced restlessness. We are searching for contentment and peace through consumerism and through comparison, but we won't find them there. Jesus gives us the invitation and the promise of contentment in his words to Peter. He says, follow me. Jesus on the cross shows us that there is no place where God's love cannot reach and that in giving of ourselves throughout our lives, we find an abundance that exhausts every scarcity. Contentment is a gift that awaits us all, but it is only a gift that is found in the cross-shaped life, the life of an apprentice to Jesus who hears that invitation that Jesus offers each one of us, follow him. Our hearts are restless for God, to worship Him, to exalt Him, to give our lives as a part of His story and to find ourselves narrated into that story, to know Him as we are fully known. And so today, I simply want to invite you to begin moving towards the contentment that Jesus has for each one of us as He calls us to follow Him. And to do that, I just want to invite you to pray a simple prayer, both as a reminder and as a formational practice. This prayer, I'm going to invite you to pray along with me. Lord, you have made me for yourself. I am restless until I rest in you. Let's pray that together. Lord, you have made me for yourself. I am restless until I rest in you. Jesus promises us that no matter what, He is with us. His rest, His contentment is available to us in every moment, in every circumstance. He will never leave us or forsake us. His invitation stands. Follow Him. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information, please visit www.ecclesianj.com.